Welcome to the Augusta Golf Show podcast. Now, here's John Patrick. Michael Bamberger covers the game for the Fire Pit Collective, and he's got a brand new book coming out, The Ball in the Air. We'll talk to him about that. It's always a pleasure to welcome Michael Bamberger back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Michael? It's sort of a spring flower, our little pre-masters get-togethers. Almost as reliable as the Azalea. Always a pleasure, John. Well, Uh, it's good to hear. uh, It's good to hear your voice. Um, tell, tell me about Ball in the Air. What's, what's it about? Uh, the Ball in the Air is a nonfiction book. Uh, we've all heard the phrase, golf is the game of a lifetime. It takes a look at uh, three different stages of a golfing life with three actually amazing golf personalities, none of them well-known particularly. One is a young girl who grew up in Nepal and uh, in, in true poverty, and through golf, found her way to the University, excuse me, Cal State, LA, where she's now a senior. So she represents the first act of a golfing life. And then my colleague Ryan French, um, who you may know as the Monday Q guy, who uh, was really on a path. I mean, to be really candid about it, I mean, he could have taken his own life, and with the help of golf. Uh, created a, a new, healthier life for himself that he represents Act Two. And then an older friend of mine, I know you know, we both know and, and admire greatly Fleming Norville. Do you know a contemporary of Fleming's named Sam Reeves, by any chance? I do not. I do not. Sam Sam is cut from the same cloth. He's a Georgian in his late 80s, uh, grew up worshiping Bobby Jones, uh, and is a uh, was a good golfer, qualified once for a U.S. Amateur. And... Um, is a truly unique thinker about life in the game. And uh, he doesn't just represent the third act. He really represents the wisdom that one accumulates over the course of a life in golf. Uh, so the three stories interweave, and uh, there's very little professional golf in it, except for some appearances by Lee Trevino, who's sort of a professional amateur in my mind, or an amateur professional. I'm not sure how you'd word that, but because his, he exudes such deep, deep love for the game. Uh, so you're nice to ask about it. It's got no news in it. It's got some Augusta in it, uh, uh, but it is very much a Valentine to uh, to a game that you know literally millions of us love. And it's easy to forget about the game that millions of us just love because there's so much other stuff going on with Live Golf and the golf ball rollback and Erica Herman and all these extraneous things that aren't, of course, really about the game at all. You know, it's funny, Michael. In my previous life as a disc jockey, we did a lot of concerts and backstage meet and greets, and Lisa had a wonderful time doing that. But 15 years ago, when I started doing this golf show, along with my other golf endeavors, and we'd meet more and more people in the game, she said to me, you know, I enjoyed the backstages and meeting the artists, but I got to tell you, the people that you meet associated with the game of golf are some of the best people you'll ever meet. Well, I feel that way completely, and um, you know, there's a, there's a little moment in the in the book where uh, John, what, what year are you born? Fifty eight, nineteen fifty eight. John born in nineteen sixty, and I find especially it's of course it's true when you're very young, and then and then it becomes more true. I think as you get older, people who have been on this earth uh, almost the same precise time that you have been, there is some sort of special bond with them because. The cultural ties are, are that bond you are so similar, and just for various other reasons. But in any event, that's a long-winded way of saying 
this combines what you were just saying uh, about music and golf. So I was playing a golf course called Macrahanish um, in the uh, southwest of uh, Scotland, very remote uh, golf course. And I was playing with a, a retired roofer named Tommy Lamb. He, he's born in 1960, as am I. And we had never, we had talked once on the phone, but we had never met in person. And it turns out, uh, as a kid, he played the kettle drum, I believe it is, or he played the drums on Paul McCartney's uh, hit. It was a hit over there, uh, the Mold Kintar. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a hit over here, but mm-hmm. it was over there. And um, I mean, I would love to go to Tommy. Uh, I think I misspoke his name before, uh, but his name is Tommy Blue. I think I introduced him with the caddy, Tommy Lamb. But I meant to say Tommy Blue is the man's name. And uh, completely different background, same exact age, bonded by a love of golf, also a love of music. And I may never have that experience with, with Tommy again, but for that, you know, three hours that we were on the golf course together, it, was, it wasn't like it was magical. It was just a joy. And uh, so I agree with what, what yeah. you're saying. You meet the, some of the most amazing people in the world in this game. Everyone I play golf with is older than I am, and, and I'm, I know I'm blessed to have them in my life. They make me. A better person. Um, That's neat. Do you? That's neat. You, do, so your regular Augusta game is with yeah. Uh, everybody's older. Everybody's older. Uh, they're all retired, and they all can't understand why I can't play on the same schedule that they do because I have a job, and and they all hope I right. keep. Uh, they they're all encouraging me to keep contributing to their social security. Um, Interesting. Where, where where do you play that game? Uh, Forest Hills. Uh, we we play a lot at Forest Hills. That's great. Do you? Um, I was amazed that I've been going to Augusta for years, and never knew about Forest Hills until recently. It's wonderful. Oh, it's it's it really is a nice gem in this town. Um, do you find it easy to write at the Masters about the Masters? Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, I'm I'm lucky. I'm like uh, our friend Jaime Diaz, who, I mean, you can almost see the blood coming out uh, from his fingertips as he's writing. But writing has never been the, the act of, once, the, once I have the reporting down, I've been thinking about it for a while, and I know what I want to say, uh, the actual typing part on deadline um, has never really been a struggle for me, knock on wood. Uh, uh, so the, uh, the people at Augusta National make it very easy for you. They make it too easy for you with the uh, press building and bring in players for uh, for interviews. Uh, so, uh, yes, I, I don't I, – I find it challenging, but I don't find it difficult, if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, uh, do you – are there things you do at the Masters each time you come to the tournament? Do you have little traditions? I, I'd say my only true tradition is not having a pattern – uh, and uh, that's not a tradition, of course, but that's that's sort of how I lead my life. I um, uh, I'm not a person who's set in my ways at all. Uh, I'll have breakfast at different times and lunch at different times. And some days I'll go for runs, some days I'll go for a swim, some days I'll do nothing, some days I'll stay up late, some days I'll go early. But anyway, roundabout ways saying when I get to Augusta, you know, I know there's a lot of people. The first thing I want to do is I want to walk the course and see for themselves the changes. And uh, I just sort of stumble along. So no is the is the short answer. I, I really don't have traditions, except. But I'll tell you what I do feel very powerfully every time, and even on those not very often occasions when I get to Augusta, uh, not related to Masters Week. Um, even though I have a lot of ambivalent feelings about the club, some about the tournament. Uh, I don't know how you couldn't have ambivalent feelings about some elements of its history. 
Every single time I show up at Augusta National, I get a tingle. I hmm. just do. Um, so so much of my so much of my early life of falling in love with this game relates to watching uh, the Masters on TV. And then there's that you know I can't believe it pinch pinch yourself quality of I'm actually here. You know I saw Big Jack do this in '75 and Tom Watson do this in '77 and Ed Snead do this. You know on through the years and now you're here where those things happened and um, uh, my heart races a little bit and uh, I feel a definite sense of excitement. I used to feel the exact same thing when when uh, my brother and I would go to Shea Stadium to watch to watch the Mets and we'd take the number seven train. And you'd come off the Jackson Heights and you'd get this moment where you could glimpse the outfield grass and it was grand. It was like big. And uh, I had that same had the same feelings then and there. You know, you make me want to ask a question I asked uh, Rich Lerner last week. Who do you think appreciates the tournament more? Those of us that get to be there every year or somebody who's never been there? Wow, that's interesting. And I thought you were going to say those, uh, those of us who are there or the players playing who appreciates it more because because in the answer to that question, the one that you didn't ask, I think is probably the magic of the tournament. We care as much as they care, and that raises the stakes for everybody and everything. Um, but for being there versus not being there, I would probably have to say that person at home, maybe, because I know it's like to have been that person, and we all know people. You know, we're on a plane. Oh, you do. You know, you work in golf. Do you ever get to go to the Masters? And we don't want to say, yeah, we've been thirty times, <laughs> uh, but it's the truth. Uh, but they can't believe it and what they would give to go once. And it's not just the Masters. It's like I remember once I was playing golf with a, with a truck driver, and uh, and we were talking about courses that we wanted to play. And he said, uh, "Yeah, my wife and I are saving up to make a trip to uh, to Pebble Beach," and. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm just a middle class sports writer, but I can, af- I would never really do it today because it's so outrageous. But I'll leave that aside. I could afford and have gotten on a plane, you know, paid the outrageous screen fee and played Pebble Beach. Uh, but, but, you know, that's the fortune of, um, you know, being a member of the middle class. Yeah. And I think, uh, and for the structure, I don't know how many kids he had or what his situation was. We had two, have two. Uh, but it's a big deal. And uh, and I think it's important for me. I'm sure you feel the same way, John. To never forget that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, it's really easy to do some of the things that we've done and to become jaded and spoiled. It's really easy. Um, I, I know there's no rooting in the press box, but if you could create a storyline for this year's Masters, Michael, uh, what would it be? Well. I love Jordan Speed. My, my three guys are Jordan Speed. The guys that really genuinely can't help myself rooting for are, and I've written this a number of times, right now in the game, Jordan Speed, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, whom I don't know, but I've seen a lot in press tents over the years, and uh, and Frankie Molinari are the uh, are the three players that I really find myself rooting for. Everyone roots for Rory. He's extremely bright. Uh, he's a caring person. He's, evolved, he's an evolved person. Um uh, so any of those four, I kind of can't help uh, a roof for. Everybody would love to see Rory complete the uh, career Grand Slam by winning uh, the Masters. Uh, but I would be delighted to see any of those four 
contend, let alone win. I don't ask for a win. It's asking too much of you. Uh, if you're contending on Sunday in the thick of it, uh, that, that's enough joy for this reporter. <laughs> Before I let you go, I, I, I wanted to discuss this a moment with you. I listened to the podcast on the Fire Pit Collective that you and Matt Janella and, and Alan Shipnuck and Jeff Ogilvy did about the proposed rule about rolling back the golf ball. And I thought everybody made some great points. I thought Matt made some really salient points. You like the idea, but can you see this not happening, Michael? Yes, because if there's a, if there's a revolt, it definitely will not happen because all things in life, there are elements of of a power struggle, including this one. Uh, so if the USGA reads the tea leaves and finds in the RNA if, and find that they might lose their authority over the game by trying to impose something that we the people do not want, it will not happen. Uh, so it becomes in part an exercise in marketing. My short-term solution, I think they're trying to preserve Augusta National. Uh, Augusta National is grown ridiculously long and still is ridiculously short almost you could almost say it's it's not real that is you would say that much more the old course in Pebble Beach and some other places when there's no wind especially uh they want to make par fives long par fours still in, uh, still a meaningful strategy is strategically meaningful for the best players in the game but yes the short answer to your question absolutely um if there's people really misunderstand what's going on here, they think, oh, they're trying to take away my yards. They're not trying to take away our yards. Uh, they say this is bifurcation. This is not bifurcation. There has always been another game within the game when the elite players played ballada balls and we played top flights. Uh, so there's definitely a communication problem here as to what's really going on. But the short answer to your question, yes, I could absolutely see nothing that that would be a possibility that nothing would happen. I think that would be a shame, but I do think that's a possibility. I'll let you go on. Which entity do you think would have their ear the most, Michael? Probably the tour players because they got the biggest. They got you know the star tour players, uh, right up to John Rahm and Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy. Because they have the ear of the world, and uh, and you know they send out a tweet. I don't like it. I like it. They go on Golf Channel. They go on your radio, John Patrick Golf Radio Show, and start talking about it. Um, uh, it influences us much more than it should people. It is hard for people to actually think for themselves, especially on subjects that they know they don't know much about, and they know that John Rahm knows a lot about it, and they sort of just will, will go down the road. But if you really start thinking about what's happening here. You can see the logic of having a ball for truly elite players that makes the par five meaningful like it is for you and I, John, when we go play Forest Lake. Forest, Forest Hills. Hills. Forest yeah. Hills. Uh, uh, which it's not now. There are no par fives. Augusta National barely has a par five, really. Uh, I mean, they hit eight. Now, for you and me, mm-hmm. eight is a driver, a three-wood, a hybrid, and a pitch shot. <laughs> It's a par six. For them, it's a long, long par four. He is Michael Bamberger. Again, the name of his new book is The Ball in the Air, and you can read Michael's work, you can hear and see Michael's work on the Fire Pit Collective. Uh, can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks, my friend. Thank you Thank for doing you. Thank you Thank for doing you. this. Always a pleasure. Thank you.